Welcome to After Hours with me, Rick Kogan. Uh, two of the great musical treasures in this town are Bradley Parker Sparrow and his wife, Joni Pilato. They are also collaborators. I, it's a great thing to have worked so long in the newspaper business because I don't even have to trust my memory. I can look up stories that I wrote about them. <laughs> Here's a story, Joni and Sparrow, and thanks for coming in, and great to see you. Uh, from 1986, I wrote, It wasn't the most attractive offer I've ever heard. You've got to come and hear Joni Pilato. She's a jazz and jingle singer. Jingle singer, I wrote. I did go to see her. She was performing at a place called the Raccoon Club, and I wrote that you gave one of the most satisfying performances I've seen and heard in some time, a cleverly structured set that highlighted not only your considerable abilities with a song, but also the solid and frequently stirring work of your accompanist, the Willie Pickens Trio. Mm. This was all in advance of your forthcoming album, Whisper Not. Uh, do you look back on those days with great fondness, both of you? Because you play, you were on stage too, Sparrow. Yes, we do. It's like it was just yesterday. Yeah, I'll bet it is. I'll bet it is. In reading this, I mean, it evoked, I, I felt myself sitting in the Raccoon Club, which was sort of under the L on Franklin Street, right near Chicago Avenue. It was a short lived but very nice place. The new album is your number what, Joni? Well, um, I have many records. This is, however, my fourth recording of all original music, which is where I'm at now, Rick. How did that transition come? I mean, Sparrow, <clears throat> you're a composer, producer, you're an everything kind of music guy. When did you feel, is it a matter of confidence, or what is it that, that draws a performer to writing their own material? I really think that um, I was inspired by Sparrow. Sure. You know, and I I would watch and listen, and when I started recording... And, and you'd say to yourself, well, this, this is easy, just joking. <laughs> no, no, he told me it's easy. It was easy for him. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think particularly uh, the lyrics... Um, really became something for me that became a, a special thing for me to start exploring music and really getting into writing lyrics. And Sparrow, I mean, the first time, <laughs> well, the first time I rehearsed with him, we were going to play at this gig at the Lincoln Park Street Festival. Okay. Okay, this was probably around, before we got married, in 1980 or 81? 80, probably. 80, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I said, well, I... I, I need to rehearse with you if I'm going to sing with you, especially at an event. So he started playing this song he had written called Budweiser, which is on my first record, right, Whisper right, Not, right, right. and um, about the great pianist Bud Powell. And he didn't have a bridge, a chorus to mm -hmm. the song lyrically. The music was great. And I said, well... What am I going to do when we get to the chorus? Just go bobbity boo bop bop ba da ba da da. Yeah, you're a jazz singer. Yeah, you're a jazz singer. Make it up. <laughs> well, he got out a, a yellow legal pad. Remember those long yellow legal Absolutely. pads? Absolutely. I still use those. Mm, oh, you do? Yeah. yeah. When you can find them. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. So he just wrote all the lyrics bam, 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 bam. And I was like, wow, I'm impressed. So that got me, you know, really interested in, in writing music more than I ever had 
and lyrics. And indeed, aside from being impressed, did you say, I'm, I'm unbelievably impressed. Do you want to get married? No, he said that about six, <clears throat> six months later. Sorry, you had always, you, you've had, and, and what, because you're going to be on this whole hour, you, you had a fascinating, a, eclectic career before you devoted yourself fully to music. Did you not? I mean, I, if memory serves, and it always doesn't, so I'm looking it up on old stories that I've written. Uh, <laughs> you're self-taught, you studied photography. And journalism. That's why you still read newspapers at the point. <laughs> you drove a taxi, so did I. You ran a photo gallery. I never did that. You opened a restaurant. You wrote screenplays, ballets, stage plays, and movie scores. You moved furniture. But music was the guiding passion for you, was it not? You know, it's funny. Music was always in the background to give me a sense of sanity. Mm. So I would try, I call it the art racket. Yeah. You know, like you try being a photographer, try <laughs> being a writer, you know, try playing the guitar. But I wanted to keep music where I could have it to myself because I would always write melodies and lyrics and, and just be in a different world. I didn't want to contaminate it with trying to market it. Because once you try to market your art... <clears throat> It sucks the life out of it. Well, but but you, you've been you, mm-hmm. you've been able to market it. You now that Southport Records, ChicagoSounds dot com, you're up to I don't know a hundred and you're pushing two hundred. Uh, yeah, it's one hundred fifty three. My new wow. record, and you know there were a lot of records before that on vinyl. Mm-hmm. Remember vinyl? Sure. In fact, my first record, Whisper Not, is on black vinyl. Wow. It's somewhere, it's somewhere crazy. in one of my many storage. <laughs> it's crazy, Rick, because now uh, with all the digital stuff that's happening, uh, people want vinyl again. I agree. Yeah, no question. Well, uh, but but do, are we going to pull out our old record players and 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 fire up the make sure that the needle is properly you know calibrated and that's yeah. a lot. Well, I mean, what what you two have seen in the music business, and I'm not in, I'm the consumer, but what you two have seen as the producers of music is just, is life-altering. You know, I was uh, thinking uh, about back in the day when we would record direct to Mm two-track, no multi-track, no taking the record apart and putting it back together again, overdubbing, fixing stuff. Just going straight to stereo. And we did that on a lot of records in the early days, uh, namely for Von Freeman, George Freeman, Willie sure, Pickens. Sure. Uh, and, you know, I go back and listen to those records, and I'm like, how did we do that? I, I think there was no fear. Yeah. W- would you say Sparrow back yeah, then? Yes, it's like before computers, when you were typing, it's like you would type a whole page and be no mistakes. Right. Right. No whiteout, no throw it away. <laughs> no crossovers, yeah. Right, so you set up all your microphones, and they're like a bunch of little typewriters. And we got to take a little break, but these two wonderful people will be here this whole hour. You will hear uh, Joni's a couple selections from her latest CD, Accidental Melody, which is being CD release party, June 11th. Yes. Green, Green Mill. We'll be right back. 
I'm talking off <laughs> with uh, Bradley Parker Spear and Joni Pilato about the many, 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 many albums, which I still call them, that they have produced at uh, Southport Records, which you can find all the information in the world at chicagosound.com. You've given voice, you two, and we're specifically talking later about Joni's latest album, but you have given voice and commercial voice to so many local performers who, I'm not going to say they were incapable of doing it themselves, but who were just not commercially driven enough. You've, you, you gave them that opportunity, have you not? Well, I, I think with Southport, having a label, having a record label from the beginning, yeah. Um, yeah. Sparrow, you know, you put your first record out on your own label because there were no other avenues and then we began having a label so our other friends and musical artists in the city would have an outlet because you know it's hard to get on a label you don't just call blue note well i did when i put whisper not out and they didn't they didn't weren't interested You well, know. but also the, the, the whole, you know, the commercial end of this business is the three of us. It's hard. Well, the three of us <laughs> have seen, I don't know, really we could sit here till 1030 at night and talk about the number of record labels and venues that have closed in the time, you know, Raccoon Club's not that way. Since we've been together, yeah, the, the three of us, the Piano Man. Yeah. That was one of our great play- Katarina's. Katarina's was our home away from home. That yep. gave us a place to play every month. We would sponsor, not sponsor, but we would feature one of the artists on our right, label. Right, right, right. And it was beautiful because Sparrow and I would play an opening set as a duet, and then we would feature someone on our label, someone like Josie Falbo, right? Who well, I know you love and we love. Something Sparrow said long, not that long ago to me, maybe a decade ago, Sparrow, you said my theory is instead of selling a million records, I'll make a million individual records that are true to my visions. That's a tough way to make a living. Yeah, you're going to make like two cents divided by a million. Yeah. That's a lot of music, though. In fact, Mm. I know we're all negative with everything digital and all this stuff. But one thing that's happened is it's opened up a lot more people to be able to put music out. It's like a flood of music where it's almost too much information. Right. Because when I was younger, you, you would make your first record, you'd scrape it together, you'd call up Bob Kester at Delmark or Bruce Lundvall at Blue Note, you'd mail it to them and beg them to put it out and say, I'll do this. And that never... I was begging when I was young to get my first record out. Sure. So, but since I was rejected, I learned how to make records myself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also, and you knew that was going on in the in the music scene in Chicago too. Mm-hmm. I have to believe that when you would approach someone like George or someone like Josie and say, "Hey, how would you like a? You want to work with us and you want to put out a CD?" and I, I have to imagine what it was like for some of those people when they finally got the CD or album in the old days in their hands. I can tell you that when we did Von Freeman's first CD, which was not, by far, not his first recording, of course, but it was the first compact disc. And 
we went to the Green Mill and we brought the CD and Vaughn looked at it and he said, this is the most beautiful thing I've oh, ever seen. God. Yeah, it, wow. you know, your heart just swells. And uh, wow. and then, of course, I've told this story before, but um, we're so fortunate to to be part of this community of great Chicago legendary people like Vaughn and George Freeman, Willie Pickens. So Vaughn said, I said, Vaughn, we need to do another record with you now. Yeah. He said, no, no, it's George's turn. Oh, God. I Baby know. brother. Baby well, that's, brother. <laughs> y- you two know better than anybody the kind of nurturing vibe mm. in performance art here. Uh, people help each other. People lift each other up. People care about each other in a way that I cannot believe exists in many other places. Is it unique to Chicago? I think it's it's unique to music and and mm. musicians that care about each other enough to promote each other. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's it's unheard of. We're all promoting our own events. And Chicago's not a real I I think generalizing it's not like a fancy town like New York City, <laughs> right? Or right. San Francisco. It's Chicago. If you go there and you at least stay there a couple of years, you make some friends and they'll support you. What's well, always stunned me the number of uh, of uh, jazz artists that have remained here. I mean, I, I just you know, I just kind of note you know, Bobby Lewis is performing somewhere again. Uh, He's going to be at the Jazz Showcase. You yeah. can't stop Coming Bobby, right no. exactly. But it's, I mean, it, it's sort of this work ethic, I think. Mm. So you know, it's a working man's town. Mm. And I do think that that a musician in this town, you know, we had such a hard time with all the covid and all that yeah. and now that now that clubs are opening up it's like everybody wants to be together again yeah no question be there to hear music and the musicians sure need it well i want to do that for you audience out there Joni Pilato, what would you like people to hear right now in the last four or so minutes of this segment of this very show from your new <clears throat> latest cd accidental melody well, this is number four. I wrote this in the middle of the pandemic, and it's called You Think You Know, track four. Fantastic. That is just, just beautiful. What's the seed of that song? Well, I, I, it was in the middle of the pandemic when we all thought Things were changing. Yeah. We thought, oh, we don't have to wear our masks right, anymore. Right, we, right. You know, we're okay. We're okay. And, uh, well, I'll tell you the story. We were in a restaurant. This guy sh- extended his hand to Sparrow, shook his hand, and started coughing. Uh-huh. And I said, Sparrow, go wash your, go wash hands, your hands right now. Yep. I came home, and the whole lyric and the melody just came out. Don't extend your hand anymore. Bam. You think you know. Do we know? After the news, I'm going to talk a bit about, uh, (laughs) we'll certainly promote the uh, June 11th to do at the Green Mill, but also I'm going to talk about how you guys have dealt with this pandemic. I mean, it's now more than three years since it all started. We'll talk about that after you hear the news. A cause for great, great celebration uh, is not the upcoming NASCAR race, which I am so down about I can't even stand it. It is the debut of Joni Pilato's latest uh, musical adventure with her husband, uh, Bradley Parker Sparrow. It takes place on June 
11th at 6 p.m. at the venerable and always popular Green Mill. Uh, this is a, you, you guys never lose your excitement about new work. And that's one of the reasons. I, I love you for a million reasons. But that's one of them, that you always are enthusiastic about spreading music. I can't wait. I, I'm so excited about this record. Um, it's so important to me, and I, I do want to mention my great accompanist and oh, friend well, of course. and yes. partner, not Sparrow. No. Oh, well, but, you're more than a you're you're well, you're more than a friend. You're a partner, but you're more than a friend. Yes, he's my love. <laughs> but um, Farid Hawk, um, he's yeah. he's been working with us with me. For 40 years, and on so many of my recordings, and all of my recordings of original music, and I really feel like um, Farid just brings so much to my music. He gets it. Mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. gets it. He he and we enjoy playing with each other. And and I will quote something that Sparrow said about Farid. He's very elegant. He's an elegant guitarist. Well, he's an elegant-looking guy, too, if I, <laughs> if I can say that uh, aesthetically. He's a perfect-looking kind of... He's got a guitar in his hand. He's got a white beard. Uh, when you... How was the pandemic? Where it's not, you know, three years, and did it frighten you? Frighten you personally... Or frighten you professionally? Hmm. Did you worry? Because a lot of performers that I know uh, were terrified that they might never be able to perform again, literally. I think it was a lot harder on people that toured. I mean, even Billy Joel's and Elton John and these giant mega money tours were just cut short. Yep. And some of those artists were getting covid um, since we're more of a record label and a recording studio, we couldn't have anybody come into the studio. Exactly, exactly. And we started doing this weird, you know, kind of like overdub on the phone stuff, which is not a good way to write a song. Right, right. And so we had to... Um, because you collaborate closely with all of your artists, that I know. It makes such a difference to be together in anything you do, whether you're recording or you're just having a drink or, you know, but um, during the recording of Accidental Melody, um, we had situations where we were wearing masks Mm. in the studio Mm. uh, and there were um, sessions where we had this um, technology where Farid can be at home and we can be in the studio and he can hear everything to play along or say let's do this in the mix but you know oh it's got to be so different it's It's not the same it's just not the same i you know i i I didn't dig it i really didn't dig it i mean we accomplished what we needed to accomplish we worked through it but it's not would you two during the time try to go out to whatever places might be open i know a lot of places closed but, you know, there is something about live music, and that's why I think this June 11th thing will be a wonderful surprise for you, because, will, you know what, there'll be people there. <laughs> well, it's funny, uh, during COVID, Dave Gemolo, owner, owner of the right, Green Mill, yeah. would, um, he's got, he created kind of like an outdoor garden, mm-hmm. and he would have the band play in the window. Oh, 
like kind of like a vaudeville thing or yeah, something with yeah, puppets, yeah. you know. But he, I mean, I, I, I thought that was a great idea. And um, we would go sometimes to certain restaurants where you could sit by the window if it was open, mm-hmm. which I thought was kind of strange because you might get a cold. It was like right. 10 below zero. Yeah, yeah, no, it's freezing outside, yeah. But it was like a bad Vincent Price movie, the whole COVID thing. You you, you would think to yourself, is this really happening? Yeah, no, I felt I'm gonna, the same way. I'm going to wake up, but it's not natural, kind of. Do you think there have been a number of venues that closed during this thing? Yeah. Do you see a bounce back? You two have always been, Sparrow especially, about about jazz. You once wrote, I'm going to quote this letter. I love this letter. Uh, you wrote it. It was printed in the uh, Tribune in 1985. Wow. 85. It was in response to an article that was headlined. The Death of Jazz, certainly not written by me. I don't, know, <laughs> I don't know who wrote it, but this is part of what you wrote. To imply that an art form is dying is indeed a tragic vision. As a jazz composer and artist, I feel that jazz is not dying. It is evolving. When Igor Stravinsky died, modern classical music did not. The next generation of composers moved on. When Count Basie died, new jazz music did not. And the current generations of jazz composers continue to create. You must both be very hopeful that that is, that is still the case. That people have not been driven away from the music because there has been in many lives a curtailing of the music. Do you know what I mean? That young people, not so, oh man, I would love to play somewhere, but there's no place to play. There's no place to record. Maybe I'll go become a doctor. You know, the young people have always been, you know, hungry yeah. to create and perform and have an opportunity. And I don't think that's changed one bit. Good. No matter the art form. Um, and I know that it's opening up, that there's venues opening up, that performances are opening up, the clubs, you know, the Green Mill, certainly. Um, and... Uh, we all just want to get out there and do our thing. We want to create and be musicians and record and perform live. And that's what the audience is hungering for. They're, I think I kind of feel sometimes like they're desperate. They want to be engaged with each other. Well, I think they. I think there's a need involved in that whole thing too. Totally. Oh yeah. Don't you think? Yeah, I think the next generation or the current that builds the new clubs, mm-hmm. the new radio stations, the new media, will always have to consider that we are here only for a short amount of time. I have. Mm. I mean, why can't? I, why are there so many sports bars? Yeah. I mean, there's so many people are eating expensive food. Put a piano in there. Get a guitar. I mean, why does everything have to be one chord? Good point. Open it up. Good point. And I think that Generation XYZ, whatever they call them, <laughs> will say, hey, you know, let's try some jazz, you know, it's, or let's try some Latino, or let's try some Portuguese music, or some Fado, or, and I think it's going to get better. Well, it's great to see that kind of uh, optimism, optimism voiced. What do you expect, Johnny? When's the last time you performed live? <gasps> see, this is the thing, Rick. I don't perform live that often. I know. You know. I know. So uh, I won't say when the last time was, but <laughs> but, but the you Raccoon know. Club, Rick. Do you remember the <laughs> Raccoon Club? 
You know, it's interesting because um, for this, for the June 11th performance of the Green Mill, um, it's going to be different. And I've done this before. Okay, we got the record. We've got, you know, Farid. We've got John Christensen on bass, Eric Hines on percussion, Juan Pastor on percussion, Sparrow playing piano. Everything is, is, in, is just beautifully recorded. Now I have the gig. So I decided... I want to strip it down. It's just going to be me and Farid, Farid and I, Mm. doing duets, and Sparrow and I doing duets. And we have a special guest. I don't know if I told you about this. No. Clarinda Gaudio Johnson is a sign language singer. No. How interesting. She's amazing. She's a friend of ours for the last 40, 40, more than, longer than we've been married. We worked with her many years ago. She's going to be our special guest, and she's going to be signing s- songs on each set, special songs. And um, she really, her, her lifelong passion is to bring uh, to the deaf audience. Wow. I've, I've actually, is that a, are there others doing that? I've never even heard of that before. Well, she kind of coined the phrase yeah. because she doesn't care for for calling herself sign language interpreter. Right, right, because right. Because she, she's into the music. So she's a sign language singer. So she's creating the lyrics in the air in her expressions. And it's going to be a beautiful thing. I just can't wait. I'm wow. so happy that we're going to be performing again together because Claire will bring a unique aspect to the show, and I always like having something unique. Well, that sounds terribly unique. We've got to take one more break. We'll come back, and uh, you will hear one more song of uh, from this accidental melody, this new CD uh, brought to you by... Go to chicagosound.com. If you want... They could probably order all 150-some CDs from there, right? Sure. You want a collection of, of the greatest jazz over the last 40-some years? We'll deliver by, by an yes. old Rambler car. Yeah, Sparrow will personally <laughs> personally deliver these to you. Uh, again, June June 11th, that's Sunday. That's next Sunday at 6 And it's, and 6 it's 4, to six, 4 to 6. 4 to 6. Yeah. 4 to 6. Yeah. Uh, $10. God, what a bargain. Yeah, it is. And spend the money, <laughs> spend the money on CD. You'll hear another song from the CD when we uh, come back. A wonderful thing that Johnny Pilato told me some years ago. This isn't really that old a story. It's about 10 years old, and I've known you guys almost for 40 years. That's unbelievable. <laughs> I love that. Uh, thank God we're all still alive. Uh, you said this. When you're a jazz artist, quote, when you're a jazz artist putting out jazz records, you're not going to be a big star anyway. So you just do what you love. That's when the truth shines. That's a great quote, and I know it's sincere. No question about it. You two being connected romantically and being connected commercially and being connected orally, uh, meaning sound-wise, has been... uh, it's a joy. You two, you two are a remarkable pair to me. What's the secret? Mm. Well, I'll tell you one thing, Rick. You know, when 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 we have each other and we have the yeah. same yeah. feeling and yeah. the same, you know, it's respect and love and and there's no stress. What I said about the music and being a jazz artist. 
there's no stress. You just have to live your life day by day and make the time to work and play. That's one of my lyrics. <laughs> and find a way to cherish today. We'll never forget the lost year. Wow. It's one of the songs, wow. yeah. Are you writing all the time? No. <laughs> How do you... Do you wait for... I'm very curious about the, is it an inspiration that comes to you or, you know, the encounter in a restaurant, don't shake hands with that guy yeah. kind of thing? Well, when I was working on the record, you know, I, I have... I what's always, the spark of, what's the seed of this, what's the seed then of this of this record? What is the seed? You said, Sparrow, I think I, it's time for a new CD or yeah. is it more complicated? Than no, that? it's not more complicated. Okay. I was inspired and to write another record, I, I was happy that I wanted to... Evolve. I wanted to feel like I was invo- evolving and continuing mm-hmm. in my creativity and, and in my career, my recorded career, and my songwriting. And I, I really feel that um, I kind of, I really, I'm, I'm really happy with with this record. Let's before I let you go. Let's hear. Let's hear some more of another song. What should we hear? We have to hear number six because we haven't heard Sparrow. Dan Long is in there, so on top yeah. of this. Hey, Dan, this is the melody of you. Are you singing all the songs from the CD at the June 11th show? I am singing several of these songs, and I'm going back in time, Rick. I'm going to present songs. That's right up my alley. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I live back in time. Yeah, all four, all four of my original records, including the title track from Whisper Not. I'll oh, be doing wow. that. I'll be doing the title track from It's Not Easy, the title track from As You Spend Your Life, My Original Plan, and then we delve into Accidental Melody. And to tell you a secret, I'm going to do some jingles, too. Are you really? Yeah. When, when you were in your jingle day, <laughs> who did you sing jingles for? I mean, you were you, you were the Todd Josie Fallow did some of this. Sure. And this was a huge jingle town. Who did you do them for? Oh, I was so, so fortunate to work with so many great commercial producers among them. Gee, I could name a million. Um, Ira Antelis, who is oh, your sure, friend now. Sure. Um, Steve Ford, Paul Wilson, Cliff Colnott. Uh, gee, my very first jingle was do the special K pinch for Steve Samler. I don't know where he is now, but yeah, I, I uh, Cliff Colnott, did I mention Cliff? I, you yeah, know, you did. I, you know, um, yeah, I was just so lucky to be um, welcomed into the group of singers when I moved here from Ohio, and I have. Um, some what, what? Why did you move here, Johnny? I wanted more. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And you didn't expect to fall in love, did you? Didn't expect to find this tall guy. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the best thing that's ever happened to you, frankly. Yeah. Oh, shucks. Well, shucks yourself, Sparrow. Shucks yourself. <laughs> you two seem, and just in the, the you know one of the threads of this interview is is. You both seem very optimistic, not only about the commercial future of music, and you're not either of you going to become millionaires at this, but also in the in the 
next generation, the XYZ or whatever they're called. I love that, Sparrow. The XYZ generation, that, that people will always be drawn to jazz. Well, and personally, it's not, not just being drawn, drawn to jazz. For me personally, it's, it's, mm, it means so much to have any, any glimpse <laughs> of recognition you know, it means a lot, and I've I've yeah. always said that I'd rather be reviewed than ignored. Mm. I don't care if it's good, bad, or otherwise. Do you see? Do you expect to see? You have a ton of fans in this town, and I'm assuming next Sunday at uh, the Green Mill, many of them will be there. Uh, you would love to see younger faces there, wouldn't you? <laughs> We have a special limousine. We're going to pick him up at the Taylor Swift show. <laughs> That's what I'd like to see. The 55,000 fans three nights in a row. Uh, we have jazz merch. Yeah, we got merch. <laughs> they're lining up for the jazz merch. Well, they're coming for the vinyl LPs. Do you still have any of those? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Do people buy them? Well, they will Sunday the 11th at the Green Mill. We'll bring them. Wow, and people still listen. I think you're right about that too. Yeah. I mean, the the we don't even want to get into the business of <laughs> recording and selling and uh, that stuff. The whole because when, when you make a CD, I believe as a consumer, it, it is like buying a a book, and there, these are these songs are not just indiscriminately arranged they're arranged with a perfect there's a a narrative to it i i know and i do like to think of it as a legacy and it's your book and you know from having written books and having them available but um yeah uh cds are pretty much we're pretty much a rhinoceros they're pretty much a relic now except for people in our generation yeah i love them you know i do ladies and gentlemen go to (laughs) the green mill next sunday from four to six uh for the cd release party of accidental melody and go to chicagosound.com for your listening pleasure for the next 155 days because there are 155 cds thanks rick you two are a joy Thanks for having us. Thanks for coming in.